Good morning. I'm Rusty, one of the pastors here at the Ridge. Uh, Pastor Bobby's still on vacation. He's wrapping up his vacation this week. It's a, a well-deserved vacation that, he's, that uh, he's getting. He will be back next week, and he'll kick off our new series for the fall. Uh, the title of that series is For the City. It talks about uh, some of our core values here at the Ridge, so it'll be a great series. Uh, I know you're looking forward to that and looking forward to him getting back as, as well. Today we're going to finish up the series called Cow Tipping. Uh, now the whole series has been based on questions that you've had uh, that you've submitted either by the connection card or in person or on the website or email or whatever. And we've tried to address a number of those questions. Obviously didn't get to all of them, but have tried to, to address a good number of them. And today the question that we're going to address is what does it mean to be the church? Okay, So that's where we're going to go today. Before we get started, Let's pray. Father, we love you. Uh, we thank you for the blessings that you can just continually pour out on us, both those that we notice and, and so many of those that go unnoticed by us, uh, but you have a direct hand in. Father, most of all, we thank you for your love, a love that we can't begin to, to understand and, and, and get our minds wrapped around, but you love us so deeply and we thank you for that. Father, we continue to lift this day up to you in praise and worship through your message. We hope that, that it pleases you, all that we have done, all that we'll be doing. Father, we want to honor you. We want to do the things that put a smile on your face. Father, I ask that you take this message. I ask that you to use me to flow through, to deliver your message. And Father, I ask that you get me out of your way. Father, don't let me insert my thoughts or my feelings, but only what you want said. Father, take this word. Use it for your glory. In your son's name, amen. <clears throat> my first remembrance of church, ever going to church, being involved in church at all, the best I can tell was probably around six years of age. Uh, I was six, my little sister was four, and our parents occasionally would send us to church with the neighbors. We lived in western Kentucky. Uh, we lived in a trailer that was eight foot wide by 32 foot long, which isn't even a good-sized camper now. Uh, but that was our home, one bedroom. My sister and I slept on the couch, which... When she took the cushions off, was, I guess, like a full-size bed, maybe. I don't know. Uh, but she slept on one end, and I slept on the other end. And looking back on it, I would like to think that my parents were really concerned about our spiritual growth and development. I really think they sent us to church occasionally with the neighbors just so they could have some alone time. That's just sort of sad. But I'm pretty sure it's true. Uh, although I never asked my mother that, it would, I didn't want to be scarred. So, <laughs> it's probably more than I could handle. Um, a couple of years later, when I was eight, we were in the middle of a move, and my father passed away suddenly. Uh, we relocated to the mega metropolis of Fortburg, which is where I grew up from eight years of age on. When we moved to Wartburg, then all of a sudden we were in church on a regular basis. And by regular basis, I mean pretty much every Sunday. Uh, so from eight years 
old until now, for the most part, have been in church on a regular basis. Age 11, accepted Christ during vacation Bible school. Uh, since then, I've been, quote, a member, unquote, of probably eight different churches uh, growing up and through my adult life. Uh, became a pastor 12, 13 years ago, something like that. Uh, became an ordained minister about 10 and a half years ago. Uh, what exactly does that mean? That means I can now legally marry or bury you. Uh, that's about it. <laughs> I don't know if it means much difference than that, but in legally, that's what it means. If I had to stop and go back and try to count up the number of hours that I've been in church, it'd pretty much be impossible. I'm pretty convinced that I've been in church for at least 10,000 hours over 50 years. I'm 56 now, started at 6 on occasion, but I'm thinking it's safe to say 10,000 hours. When you throw in Sunday school, uh, Sunday morning worship, Sunday night worship, what used to be called training union, uh, youth group, uh, missions, media ministries, uh, just on and on, all these different things, pretty safe to say 10,000 hours. So what's so golden about 10,000 hours? Well, 10,000 hours is what is generally accepted is the amount of time that it takes to become an expert on any single subject. You know, whether it's studying, working in it, doing whatever, it takes about 10,000 hours approximately to become an expert. So, I'm an expert. At what? At going to church. What does it exactly mean to be an expert at going to church? The best I can tell after giving this some serious thought this week, this is what it means. It means that I can speak fluent Christianese. I can throw out some words, you know, transfiguration, you know, sanctification, you know, premillennial, postmillennial, uh, monotheism. I can throw out some big words. It also means that occasionally I can throw out some Greek words. And I can throw them out fast enough and with enough commitment People have no idea if I'm pronouncing it right or not, but they just go with it. They act like I know what I'm talking about. It also means, how many of you have ever seen either the book or the, the blog website for Stuff Christian Likes? Oh, the rest of you are missing it. You've got to go look it up. And just remember, Stuff Christians Like. This dude had to follow me around for the last 20, 30 years. Okay? And it's funny until the point that you realize that it's so true that it's scary. Uh, you got to check it out. It also means that when somebody asks me, where do you go to church? That without any hesitation, I can say the ridge, and I can say it without hesitation, and with just that right amount of pious pride that we Christians so much like. And that's about all it means. Being an expert at going to church just really isn't worth much. There's a difference in going to church and being the church. And that's what we're going to talk about today. What does it mean to be the church? Okay. Now, 
as I get into this, we're going to talk basically about four points. Okay? The first one, it's not a difficult concept to, to grasp, but it, I think it's more difficult for us just to get our minds wrapped around and to actually accept. Uh, because it calls for a change of view, a completely different viewpoint of how we see the church for the most part when it comes down to reality. Okay? Once, you get, once we can get past this first point, then the other three fall in place rather quickly and, and, and we can move through those. So I'm going to take a little bit longer on the first point and then we'll sort of pick up speed as we go from there. Okay? Hopefully, hopefully, we'll get our mind wrapped around what this means to, to be the church. Okay? And I'm using an iPad for the first time, so bear with me on this one. Cultural Christianity. It's a term you hear a lot, and it's a very, it's a very relevant term, cultural Christianity. There's some really good things about culture influencing the church today, but there are also some very not-so-good things about culture's influence on the church today. One, at least in my eyes, some people would disagree, but at least in my eyes, is just how we dress. 20 years ago, I couldn't have walked into a church with jeans on, much less stepped up on a stage to bring a message. I would have been escorted off in the church that I grew up in. It just wouldn't have happened. It might have been okay on a Sunday night youth service if they were new jeans, but that's about it. So there's some things that culture has helped us change and uh, to reach people and, and to relate to people. But when we let culture start to change and dictate what our beliefs are over the Bible, then we have a problem. And a lot of times, these are incredibly subtle and we don't pick up on them. One of those is what it means to be the church. Cultural Christianity will say, Going to church, showing up once a week at church or whatever, that's good enough. That's all you have to do. You can leave the rest up to the professionals, the people you pay, the pastors, the staff, whatever. Leave the rest of it up to them. Showing up is good enough. And that's not what the Bible says. So we have to be very careful about that. Let me give you an example. Now, this is a trick question, so do not answer. Which is a lot more warning than I give my classes. How often do you go to church? Now, some answer popped into your head right there in all likelihood. Some of you, it's pretty much every Sunday. Some of you, it's you know, two, three times a month. Maybe it's once or twice a month or monthly. Um, maybe it's special occasions, weddings and funerals. Obviously, you aren't CEOs, which is Christmas, Easter only, because you're here now, so you're not a CEO. But you have some number that popped into your mind. Was it the right answer? Well, it depends on what lens you look at that through. What really a key part here is, what's your definition of church? Take a look at three things that culture tells us fit the definition of church. And one of these may be your definition. It may be all the above. A is the building. When you come here, you come to church. When you step through those doors... You're at church, or you're at the church. Now, 
sort of step aside here for a second. I need some help on this because I'm really, really bad about that. Somebody will say, well, you know, what you got going on? Well, I'm going to go over to the church. I want to ask you to do something, and I mean this sincerely and wholeheartedly. If you hear me say that, would you please stop me and correct me? This isn't the church. This is the building. Pastor Bobby, I'll give him props, especially since he's not here. I'll brag on him. <laughs> the, he does a really good job of referring to this as either the LaSalle campus or the Ridge campus or the church campus. He throws the word campus on the end of it. Now, the first time I heard him say the LaSalle campus, I thought that was a little pretentious. I thought, we've barely moved in. It's the only campus we have. This is it. What, where's the other campus? But he was right. It's a campus. It's a location. It's not the church. Please, if you catch me, I don't care if it's here, if it's out in the community, if it's at school, wherever, if you catch me saying I'm going to the church or refer to this building as the church, please stop and correct me on it. Because it's something I need to change. Okay? The second one, second definition would be the service. You've come to church this morning because you're sitting here. Not necessarily the building, but regardless of where we would have been, you would have been in church. You would have been at the service. The third one is an organization. Okay? Let's take a look at all three, though, because Satan will take any of those three, all of those three, and cause us to be distracted or diverted and steer away from the truth. The truth of the fact is that we are the church. Not the building, not the service, not the organization. Okay? Let's take a look at the building part first. Uh, Matthew sixteen eighteen. Jesus is talking to Peter. And he says, And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. When Jesus tells Peter that he's going to build the church on him, he's not going mafia on him and throwing him in a ditch of the foundation of a building and covering him with concrete. He's not talking about literally building a church building on him, right? And, and we never look at it that way. We never really think of it that way. But then we turn right around and refer to the building as the church. Talk about the service. This is one thing that our, our lead team and our worship team does a really good job of. Rarely, if ever, will you hear them talking about planning a church service. This service that we're in right now is referred to consistently and constantly uh, by the lead team and leaders of the church as the Sunday, mor Sunday morning worship experience. And that's what it is. It's a worship experience. It's a service. It's not church. It's definitely not the church. And the last one, of course, is the organization. Are we an organization? Is Ridge Church an organization? Yes. Why? For legal reasons. Pretty much it. Legal reasons, uh, state regulations, federal regulations. Do we have bylaws? Yes, we have bylaws. Are bylaws ever mentioned in the Bible as being part of the church? No. Why do we have bylaws? In case we get sued. 
That's pretty much it. Because then they become a really important issue to have. Uh, so just for some legal reasons and things like that, yes, we are an organization, but we shouldn't focus on the organization being the church. When we do, when we do, then we let the organization be a substitute or a surrogate for taking on and carrying our individual responsibilities. And it's not up to the organization. Christ called each of us to do that. Not to put it off on somebody else. When when the Bible talks about the church, it doesn't call it, it doesn't refer to it in, in so much as an organization. The metaphor that the Bible uses throughout the New Testament is the body of Christ. Uh, several different references in the New Testament, uh, Romans 12, 5, uh, 1 Corinthians, there's a couple of places, Ephesians, there are a couple of places, Colossians, a couple of places, all talking about it being the body of Christ. So what, what does it matter? What's it matter if we look at it as, a, as the church as an organization or a church as an organism? Yeah. As an organization, if you look at the church as an organization, then we have a tendency to look at Sunday morning, showing up here on Sunday morning, and just being part of a Sunday morning social club. When you look at it through the lens of an, or, of an organism, now all of a sudden we're part of something that is living and growing. Huge, huge difference. We are the church. Now, if you can get your mind wrapped around that, accept that, and change your view of what the church is based on that, now we can go forward with the other three points that fall into place a little quicker. Okay? The first one, live like Christ. Live like Christ. How do we know how to live like Christ? You read the Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You want to know how to live like Christ? Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you finish reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you finish at that time, go back and do it again. Each time you do it, you're probably going to pick up something you didn't pick up the time or times before. Now, are we going to sit here today and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? No, because I don't want you to throw stuff at me. But that's the best way to do it. Can we talk about all the different aspects of how Christ lived his life? No, not in the time frame that we have. So I want to focus on one. One huge key aspect that's over and over and over in the Gospels that so many times we, we tend to miss. Okay? How did Christ live his life? He lived life in relationship. In relationship. First with his family, then with the disciples for the last three years during his ministry. Was constantly in relationship. We are designed. God... God created us and designed us to be in relationship, not isolated, but in relationship. You don't think you're designed to be in relationship? You don't think you're, that you crave being in relationship? How many times do you check your cell phone a day? On average, the average number of times a person checks their cell phone a day, you ready for this? 150 times. 
not me. Oh, really? How many times do you go? You just checked your cell phone. Why do we check our cell phone so much? Because we want to see that little red one pop up on a text message or on a Facebook message or something. We want to be communicated with. We want to be in relationship. We want to have a connection. And we constantly are checking to see if, do I have a connection? Do I, you know, and, and we, we substitute that for relationships. We crave relationships. Christ lived in relationship. The big question here is, do we live in relationship when it comes to church, or do we live in religion? Christ ripped the Pharisees for this very thing. The Pharisees were the undoubted, undisputed, heavyweight champion experts at religion. They had religion down. And Christ ripped them for it because they were missing the point. It's not about religion. It's about relationship. And we have to be really careful in the church because we can take anything and turn it into religion. Even the things we're trying so hard to establish relationship. For example, prayer, Bible study, quiet time, giving, serving, teaching. We can turn all of those into religion if we aren't real careful. Parents, let me ask you a question here. Let's say, well, let's say you love your kids. We hope. I know sometimes it's a challenge, but we hope. You love your kids. And not only do you love your kids, but you love being with your children. You love having them around. You love sharing their experiences. You love sharing their life. You love being part of that and talking to them and and bonding with them, and you, you love that and crave that. With that in mind, which of these three would you rather have? A, would you rather have a child that understands just how deeply you love them and craves, that child craves to spend time with you because it makes you happy? They would actually give up doing other things that they would like to be doing just to be with you, just to see the smile on your face and know how much you love them and how much they love you. You have that good of a relationship. Would you rather have that? That's A. Or B, a child who will spend time with you. They understand that you want a relationship and you love them and they want to spend time and they will give you an allotted amount of time per day. 15 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour, whatever. You've come up with some agreement and they're going to spend that time with you. But the whole time that they're spending it with you, they're going... Yeah, I hear you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when that time hits, boom, they are out the door. They're gone to do stuff that they, that they want to be doing and hanging with other people and their friends or whatever. They're, just, they're gone. That's B. Or C, the kid who knows how much you love and crave their attention and their relationship, they just don't have time for you. they got a ton of other things to do that are really important, and they just don't have time. Which one? Well, obviously, pretty much most parents are going to choose A. Question, which one of those describes your relationship with Christ? If we spend our prayer time, our Bible study time, our quiet time, our worship time, 
if we spend that because we know how much it pleases God. And we want to spend time with God because we, we crave that relationship. That's relationship. If we're looking at our watch, we're checking it off. When you turn something into a checklist, congratulations, you just went from relationship to religion. Spot time, 15 minutes. Boom, 15 minutes is up. Got to go. Check. Done. Feeling good. Religion. Not relationship. Sadly, in my life, B and C are a whole lot more descriptive in my relationship most of the time than A. Be very careful that we don't change things that we mean for a relationship into religion. We have to have that relationship. Not just relationship with God, but relationship with other believers as well. That's why we have groups of believers coming together to minister together, to love together, to live life together. One of the most common things that we hear as pastors when people are here and then they're gone, in the church world they call it, you know, in the front door, out the back door. You know, they were here, but now they're gone. The most common reason we hear of people going out the back door is, I just didn't get connected. In other words, I didn't establish relationships. And that's sad. We're called to relationships. The next one, love like Christ. Live like Christ, love like Christ. How did Christ love? Let's take a look at a couple of verses here. Matthew 22, 36 through 40. The Pharisees, the undisputed heavyweight champions of religion, one of them comes to Christ to try to trap Christ. And so he's going to throw a question at him that he thinks he's going to trap him. And so he comes up to him and says, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Okay? Now, let's make a little bit of a jump. Let's jump over into John. This is just before the ascension of Christ. In other words, Christ has been crucified buried, you know, he's dead, he's been buried, he's risen. He comes back and spends 40 days with the disciples and his followers. And at the end of that 40 days, he ascends. He just, just goes right on up into heaven. But just before he ascends into heaven, he tells his disciples this, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Now, wait a minute. That's not new. We just, that's one of the commandments. What's new about that? That's not the new part. The next part is the new part. The next part is where he really jacks it up. Just as I loved you, you are also to love one another. It's not good enough just to love our neighbor. It's not good enough just to love others. Christ is saying now, we have to love others just like he loved us. You have any idea how much love that is? I don't. I cannot get my mind wrapped around how much Christ loves me. How deeply he loves me. I cannot imagine loving anyone more than I love my daughter. But at the same time, I know Christ loves me even more than that. And I can't fathom that. It's an incredibly deep, deep love. How did Jesus love? Unconditionally. 
Jesus loved everybody. He loved people that nobody else loved. He loved people that everybody else hated and despised and looked down on. And he loved them just as much as he loved me or anybody else. Did he love the people that followed him? Yes. Did he love the people that didn't follow him? Yes. He didn't love based on how much money, the clothes, how much somebody did, didn't do, their upbringing, their, their background, what they had done. He loved deeply and unconditionally. He loved so much and loves so much that he still loves me even though I've screwed up things over and over and over again in my relationship with him. And he still loves me just like he loves you. The last point. We've got live like Jesus. We have love like Jesus. The next one, the church is called to leave behind what Jesus left behind. What did Jesus leave behind? He left behind people who lived like him, loved like him, and taught others to live like him and love like him and to teach others to do that. And those people would do live like Jesus. You get the, the drift here. You get the pattern. We're called to live like Jesus, love like Jesus, and leave behind what he left behind. Now, that, the, the church word for all that is disciple. And you can hear a lot about discipleship coming up in this next year here at the Ridge. But let's take a, uh, let's take a look at Matthew 28, 19 through 20, what's referred to as the Great Commission. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Me, you, anyone who claims to have accepted Christ as their Savior is commanded, instructed, told, whatever word you want to put on it, to lead other people to Christ. How? By living like Christ and loving unconditionally like Christ and teaching them how to live like Christ and so on. I recently talked to a lady who became a Christian. What drew her to Christ was the love that she saw other Christians have for each other. They'll know that we're his children, the disciples, because of the way we love one another. Yes. Words aren't good enough. We've got to back that up. The love for one another drew her, that love, she got to the point where she desired to have that. And that's one of the things we're supposed to do. Once we understand that we need to live like Jesus and love like Jesus, lead other people to do that, and leading doesn't, that's not just talking and preaching it, that's living it then we start to see that we are the church. How many times do you go to church? How often do you go to church? The correct answer is 365 days a year. You're always at church because you are the church. Some of you 
Some of you may be sitting there today and thinking, you know, I really get tired of coming to church and getting beat up. It seems like every time I come, I get told that I'm not good enough or that I'm doing something wrong or I need to step it up or I'm, I need to, you know, on and on. Let's make sure you understand something. That voice in your head, you're hearing from the Spirit, but it's not the Holy Spirit. You're hearing from an unholy spirit. You're hearing from Satan. Satan is the one who's whispering in your ear saying, you're never good enough. You should be ashamed of what you've done. You don't measure up. You need to, and just continually hammering you. That's Satan, Satan diverting you from the truth, distracting you from the truth. The gospel is called the good news. Does the good news make us feel bad? No, the good news we're jacked about, we're pumped about. The good news that Christ gave up his life for us so that we could be saved and we should be jacked about it. That we are the church is something we should be excited about. Not because it's an organization or a group, but because it's a part of a living body of Christ. Let's say that I explain to you how valuable gold was. And not only did I tell you how valuable it was, I told you where you could find some. And not only did I tell you where you can find it, I can tell you how once you got there, how to get it. And I, and I told you the tools you were going to need to get that gold. And not only did I tell you the tools that you needed and how to use them, I actually gave you the tools to do that. So you know where it is, you know how valuable it is, and you, you know the tools you need, and you've got those tools. And, and I even tell you what to do with it afterwards to, to really get the most out of it. And you said, ah, oh, that's great. And then you sat on the couch and never did anything. You never walked out the door. The truth of the matter is, in cultural Christianity, when, when we're told it's good enough to come to church, that's what we're doing. If we never follow through, Christ has told us how valuable His Son is. How valuable our life in Him is. How much it's worth. He's told us how to get it. What to do. What to do with it when we do get it. He's given us the tools to do all that. Not only told us the tools, but given us the tools to do all that. He's done everything except go get it for us, and that's up to us. In the Bible where it says, I stand at the door and knock, it doesn't say I kicked in the door and came in. If we don't get up off the couch and go get it, if we don't do the things that He's called us to do, then we sit at home and go, you know, my life hasn't changed. I've tried this church stuff. My life still hasn't changed. I don't get it. You think? It's up to us to move. We, the church, to do what we're called to do. I want to close today with a word that God gave for this specific body of believers. To the church of the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, that meets at 157 LaSalle Road, Oak Ridge, Tennessee. The Lord God says, He who has ears, let him hear. Rise up. Stop simply being in the church. And be the church that I've called you to be.
And the problem is this We were born with a kiss But the cheeks still turn Even when it wasn't hit And I don't know What to do with a love like that And I don't know How to be a love like that When all the love in the world Is right here among us And hatred too So we must choose what our hands will do Where there is pain Let there be grace Where there is suffering Bring serenity For those afraid Help them be brave Where there is misery Bring expectancy And surely we can change Oh, surely we can change Something And the problem it seems Is with you and me And the love who came To repair everything And I don't know What to do with a love like that And I don't know How to be a love like that When all the love in the world is right here among us and hatred too so we must choose what our hands will do where there is pain let there be grace Where there is suffering Bring serenity For those afraid Help them be brave Where there is misery Bring expectancy Surely we can change Oh, surely we can change Oh, surely we can change 
something The world's about to change The whole world's about to change Oh, the world's about to change The whole world's about to change